Our scripture reading for today comes from the Old Testament book called Ruth. We'll be reading chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. I invite you to hear these words. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab. He and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from the Bethlehem from Bethlehem in Judah they went into the country of Moab and remained there but Elimelech the husband of Naomi died and she was left with her two sons these took Moabite wives the name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth when they had lived there for about 10 years both Malon and Kalion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons or her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you might find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. They said to her, no, one, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband, even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait then until they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, even if death parts me from you. When Naomi saw she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Sometimes the best place to begin is at the end. The end in this case stands in direct contrast to the 18 verses of despair that I just made Mike read. Here's a paraphrase of how it goes. The end part. So Ruth and Boaz were married. The Lord blessed them so that Ruth became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When he was born, the local women all got together and celebrated with Naomi, saying, The Lord be blessed. Today God has blessed you with a grandson to take care of you in your old age. And we know he's going to do that because, of course, he's Ruth's son. And her love has been of more value to you than the love of seven sons. Naomi loved that little boy to pieces, and from day one, he was the apple of her eye. He was given the name Obed. When Obed grew up, he then had a son of his own, and that son's name was Jesse. Then Jesse, as we all know, down the line... After becoming king of Israel, and through that lineage, was born a Savior. Not just any Savior, our Savior. Ruth is actually the great-grandmother of King David. This is an important nugget of knowledge we get here at the end, that this story, this woman, leads us down the line to our Savior. So we could just stop here. Maybe grab some lunch before the crowd sit. I mean, that's a pretty important fact. That was a cruel joke. But I think this tale, the who, what, when, where, the drama, the emotion, give even more meaning to that outcome. Why else are the details even included? Why not just tack on that genealogy at the end of another chapter? I think the unknown author of Ruth thinks that there's more to this passage to tell, more to this story. So through the years when you've heard the story taught, perhaps in Sunday school, as a child, or in a book study, you've often heard a focus on the romantic angle of this story, this love, this great coming together of Boaz and Ruth. It's almost straight from a a movie. There's a damsel. Of course, she's in distress. Then the damsel meets the hero. Of course, the hero rescues the damsel. They get married, the damsel and the hero. They have a child. They live happily ever after. I would argue, though, the real hero of this story is the one that the book is named after. Ruth... Through her actions, her devotion testifies that faithfulness is possible in human relationships and is possible in relationship with God. That even amid great loss, redemption and abundance can be found. The loss begins, as you heard Mike read, as a family desperately tries to find food during a famine. Ironically, as it says, they live in Bethlehem, which literally translates land of food or bread. 
but they're forced to leave here because they can't get any food or bread in this place that they've called home. So there they are. They travel up and around the Dead Sea. I think I've got a map, maybe a map. Matthew, is there a map? There's not a map. I'm going to point to it like it is a map. So they go up and around the Dead Sea. And, oh, look, there it is. It's magic. I started pointing, and there it popped up. They go up and around from Bethlehem and down to the east to Moab. But this is a tricky destination because multiple times throughout Scripture, Moab and the Moabites are mentioned as enemies of Judah and Israel, both in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, and in Judges. Nonetheless, they go. But sadly, tragedy follows them to Moab. Within just 10 years, both Naomi's husband and both her sons die. We are not told how or why they meet their doom. We're just presented with this mother, this wife's overwhelming loss. In this, she believes that God has turned against her. That the famine that brought her to this place is now the famine of her soul. And she is bitter. Before returning home to Bethlehem, Naomi attempts to honor what is tradition and custom. She wasn't just being nice. This was what happened. There were no grandchildren, no heirs. Then those wives would be sent back to their mother and father so that they could have a chance for another life perhaps remarry, perhaps have children. She says, there's nothing here to hold you to me. Orpah, not to be mistaken with Oprah, even though it has exactly the same letters, does not take her up on her offer, actually does take her up on her offer, but not Ruth. Now, her reply is one of the most famous pledges of love in the Bible. It's actually most often quoted, and it might have sounded familiar to you because it's often used at weddings, either in a modern translation or sometimes in that beautiful King James language. Whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Where you die, I shall die also." I'm not questioning anyone here's devotion to their mother-in-law, but I'm not sure how many of us would step up to that task. To sacrifice is to give up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important, as more worthy. Ruth trades hope for a future in her home, with her family, her community, and agrees to travel with another woman 50 miles back to Bethlehem, putting her own life at risk. She gives up the pagan gods that she worships to adopt Naomi's God. She chooses to go to Judah where she will be considered an outsider, an other, an immigrant. Ruth is what author Kate Bowler might call a lean-in kind of person. 
Hopefully each of you has one or more of these people. The type who don't balk at your unanswerable questions, don't shy away from your unsolvable issues, who show up on impossible days in the hospital, at the funeral, at the court date, who allow us to show up as our full selves, who walk with us all the way to the very edge and are willing to look down off the cliff with us. Ruth leans in to an uncertain future with this woman that she loves, not by blood, but by choice. So they go back to Bethlehem. Naomi, still blinded by pain, gives, po- gives voice to the physical pain and emotional pain that she feels because people start to recognize her. They're like, hey, Naomi, welcome back. She says, don't call me Naomi, which literally means sweet. She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Lord has made me this way. I went away and I have returned empty. And it's because of God. But is she completely empty? Ruth is with her. She's not alone. But Naomi is in too much pain to see beyond that blur that pain often creates. Now, I like Ruth. She's a doer. She's a woman of action. So once they get back, she immediately sets about trying to find food for them to solve what is their immediate problem and that they have nothing to eat, obviously no job, no means to care for themselves. So she goes to the crop fields and starts gleaning after the workers. Now, gleaning is the gathering of grain or harvest or grapes after the very first harvest. Israelites were commanded by Levitical law to allow poor people, people in need, to follow behind the reapers and pick up what was left over. So the Israelites weren't allowed to go back, get everything they needed that they might have dropped. They were required to leave that for people who might need it. Widows, orphans, immigrants. This actually still happens today. And this is kind of an aside, but I thought it was really neat. Grace Klein, one of Asbury's ministry partners, has a program called Food Rescue. So what they do is they gather leftover food from restaurants and other organizations And they distribute it back out to people who might need it. In fact, after Discovery Weekend, one of our youth events, they took all sorts of food, leftover hamburgers and hot dogs that I guess we could have saved and eaten the next day, but they took those and gave them to people who might need them. God continues to use people to provide nourishment to others. Boaz is actually one of those people, too, that God used. We're introduced to this distant relative of Naomi who just so happens to own the fields that she starts gleaning in. He kind of notices her, asks about her, what's she doing there, who does she belong to. He asks his workers not to bother her. 
Now, I think bother is a lovely translation from the NRSV. A more accurate translation might be not to assault her. So he asked his workers, Israelites who are God's people, not to assault her. Ruth is at higher risk for this because after all, she's not from here. She's an outsider. This fact is highlighted five times in just the four short chapters. So whenever she's addressed or talked about, people don't say simply Ruth. They say Ruth, the woman from Moab. Ruth, the Moabite. Ruth from the territory of Moab. The author wants us to realize how much of an outsider she is. Despite this, Boaz is moved, not by her looks, but by her loyalty. How have I favor in your eyes that you even notice me, an immigrant, she says. And he says, I've heard about everything that you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband died, how you left behind your father and mother and the land of your birth and came to a people you didn't even know? May you receive a rich reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you seek refuge. Through a series of, and there's really no better word here, spicy events that are most definitely not the topic of today's message, Boaz and Ruth are married and have a child. And we're brought back to the end of the tale. The emptiness, the lacking have now been replaced with abundance in every way. Isn't that what Christ does for us? Perhaps this story is more of a parable to us than even we realize. So there's Naomi, bitter toward God, even blaming God, and not without reason. Her pain is completely warranted. She's unable to see the gift of one who is willing to drop everything at all costs to travel with her, to be her family. Perhaps we are like Naomi. We often miss the presence of Christ in our darkest moments. It becomes difficult to grasp hope or see light, yet it is there always present. Think about Boaz, who shows grace to this foreign woman, who in every way meets their needs with kindness, with tenderness, without asking for anything in return. How can this not remind us of what we know of our God, who brings healing from pain and abundance from emptiness? And finally, there is Ruth, who sacrifices her opportunities for someone she's not related to, does not owe anything to, and to whom she chooses to love. Remind you of anyone? Her actions and her love foreshadow a love that comes much, much later down through the lineage of her great-grandson and the sacrificial love of Christ. I've been thinking so much about Ruth and Naomi, especially in relation to today's 
secular holiday. Mother's Day actually became a national holiday in May of 1908, and it was intended to honor the sacrifices that mothers make. Like almost every holiday, though, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, it can be complicated. Not necessarily in the meaning of it, that is pure and simple, but in the feelings that it can bring someone. If you've been unable to have a child, if you've ever lost a child, if your mother is no longer alive, or perhaps you had a mother but she left bruises and scars, physical or mental, that you'd rather forget. If you have found yourself there, then you know how very difficult today can be. There are women who do not sit in our pews on this one Sunday every year because of the pain that it brings them. But today's message of Ruth and Naomi helps me realize that often a mother and the things that she brings, nurturing, caring, and love, are not only provided by blood or by birth. My own mother died in 2018, and I admit that Mother's Day just isn't the same. But luckily, my pain cleared enough for me to see those around me who now walk in her path. When I received my local pastor's license in 2021, some of you who were present recall that I was able to receive a stole, this very stole, and I was able to um, be recognized in worship. About a week before the service, I sent this message to nine ladies in our church. As I approach this day, I've been thinking about the journey it's taken me to get here. The path I've traveled toward God and continue to travel. I credit my mother as the saint who influenced me and planted beautiful seeds of faith in my life. No matter what she was facing, she continued to hold her faith dear and always tried to learn, to grow, to become closer to God. One of the beautiful things that has happened both while she was alive and especially since her passing is how each of you has surrounded me in love, encouragement, and support. It has helped me to feel her presence and love because I know how very much each of you loved her. And now you have graciously extended that love to me. Each of you has played a part in the honor I receive next Sunday, and I pray you know how grateful I am to have been influenced in faith by you. You have become part of God's story for me and are among those I credit with what God has helped me to do. I watch each of you and the way you live out God's calling by loving others, and I am continually amazed. The Hebrew word for glean is lakat, 
and it means to collect, to gather, to pick up. These are the women who gleaned, who gathered and collected love for me when my own mother was gone. And there are many like them here in this room and out in the world. You probably are one to someone. People who are mothers, who are aunts, sisters, stepmothers, a mother-in-law, a teacher, a friend, a neighbor, a youth leader. People who are there for you to carry on. Look around the corners of your life and you will see them. Much like Christ and Ruth, they take what is empty and bring it to abundance, to something full of beauty and love. Receive that gift. And then listen to Christ who calls us into being and doing and acting like Ruth and give that same gift to another who may need it. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are responsible for the gift of love. The gifts that we receive from mothers and from so many others who walk in their steps, whether they have born children or not. God, we give you thanks for those in our lives who mentor and love us. God, I ask that your blessings be with them on this Mother's Day, but God, always. We praise you. We praise the name of your Son, Christ, who ultimately redeemed and saved us. Let us feel his love each and every day. Amen.